Today's podcast is Tech Toys. I'm excited to be here with my favorite tech and play guru. She inspires me, teaches me, and wows me every time we speak. I'm here with Alexis Kobo, computer science and technology specialist at Pinecrest School on the Boca Raton campus. Alexis has amazing insights into the value of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And if you want, you can pause this podcast right now and go listen to Alexis on episode number 39, years ago, talking about STEM learning being a skill. It's not a specific device. It's not a particular toy. It is how children are interacting in their environments with their play and their thinking. Alexis has all the current information on technology, play, and toys for young children. She's also a mom, so she's lived the stress too. Let's just jump in. Alexis, let's start with your basic beliefs and philosophy about tech toys and tech play. Then welcome, welcome. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be here with you. Um, And to be considered an expert in your presence is just amazing. I love every I love how you approach this. I love how you evaluate it. Please, please, let's just share it with the world. Okay, so first and foremost, um, the word toy is kind of a struggle for me because I look at things from an educational perspective and how a student can learn through play. So when I'm looking at something that is going to be useful for our classroom experience, it's how they can connect real world experiences and gain some critical thinking skills and then most importantly, computational thinking skills. Okay, pause here. (laughs) So what I'm hearing you say is that toy sounds trivial and um, um, superfluous. Yeah. But and any interaction that a child has with a meaningful something, it's a provocation, it's an inspiration, it's something that will provoke engagement and excitement and interaction. Right. It's something that gives the wow factor when you bring it in the room. It's more than just something that you would use once and then store away on a shelf or that you'd give it to the child and you could walk away from them and leave them for hours with it. Although you might be able to do that with some of these things, but you really want to invoke a really deep um sense of passion, personal passion, and ideas for um, critical thinking and being able to have them like really look beyond what the surface of it is. Right. It's the, it, so the first podcast you were here, you were saying things like, it doesn't have to be a tech object right. in order to engage STEM thinking. Exactly. So... So, I don't. It's been a while since you've had a little one. Um, What do you see as the building blocks for that kind of STEM thinking, and for that technology skill base that you envision children needing? in in the future? So something really simple, one of my favorite things to bring out with kids is a twister mat. 
and they can look at a twister mat and I make a lot of different coding activities, unplugged activities. That's what in the CS world we like to call them. And we lay out the twister mat and the kids immediately think, oh, we're playing twister. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let's take a look at this. And, um, the mat represents a grid, and we're teaching them about moving an object in object-oriented programming on a coordinate plane. So each one of the rows of the twister mat that's colored becomes part of this coordinate plane. And you can take any object and move it. So we make printable items. So the game I like to play, I learned from a conference I went to in um, the computer science teachers organization called Rosie's Runtime. So we buy like a little toy dog and put it on the mat and the dog is Rosie and you need to get Rosie to to her home. And so we build like a whole story around Rosie and then I have like little puddles that Rosie can't step on but Rosie likes to collect bones along the way and then the kids start to see, okay, how am I going to get Rosie from start to finish and their code are these arrows that they lay out and then we start to talk about developing roles and skills and who's the driver who's the navigator who's the debugger and this starts at such a young it could be pre-k and Mm -hmm. it can be Mm -hmm. scaffolded up I do it with my second and third graders when we're introducing more um, developed coding like adding in loops and conditionals and so you can use this all the way through but something as simple as a twister mat so this isn't anything expensive or out of the ordinary so what do you think of so i have two questions in my mind at this time one is going back to the toddler preschoolers yeah what i'm hearing you say is maybe it's how we get the children to think plan process right describe their thinking right so that they then have a meta level at which they're then looking at their play right or the process of their play second question then becomes so we have that unplugged version that all of us early childhood people love in the sense of you know engaging heart body and brain but, and th- but now I'm thinking, everybody that turned on the podcast is thinking, okay, but what kind of plugged-in toy should I be looking at pre, in the preschool or toddler years? So what are the, so given that that's the schematic for thinking about it, how, what tools prepare kids for this world that half, that half our audience just went, what? Yeah. That's what they're teaching in elementary school? Yeah. So you could start with something like the Fisher-Price Caterpillar, where you have this uh, caterpillar-like body that the head part is the brain, and then you pull it apart, and it's got the different arrows. And depending upon the way that you arrange it, it will be programmed to move in a certain sequence. So you're teaching them like basic logic thinking. The other part of it, especially in the early childhood area, is them even knowing their directions, moving right and left versus turning right and left. That's a whole different way of thinking. Whoa. Okay, so now we've done some podcasts and lots of conversations in family time with from an OT perspective mm-hmm. where how we manage our body in space or how we manage things in space becomes a very complex brain activity if our children are sitting and playing with iPads. 
from the time they're very, very young. Right. Is that true? Um, I would say if they're, you know, just strictly plugged into something, which is why, as a computer science teacher, we try to think around this idea of creating or them moving with the device and really engaging with the tools. Um, not so much just there's a ton of games out there that they can sort of really be plugged in and be practicing these skills, but they don't need a teacher for that. And that's also sort of the hesitation with parents purchasing these tools at home because who's guiding them through some right, of these types right. of activities? Um, with things like the Caterpillar, if you're if you're guiding them to sort of also take things in their in their everyday home, like their Lego sets that are laying around or magnetiles and other things and building types of um, mazes and forts to navigate through, that's also engaging them in a way of deeper thinking that you might not realize, but you're fostering the critical thinking um, skills. Okay, so I'm also thinking, because again, this is not my field at all, mm -hmm. and, and that's why I'm always wowed by your insights. How much of that will some children do in a two-dimensional space, mm -hmm. just with paper and pencil? You know, mapping the world. Um, even just, you know, we do a silly thing just with toddlers about if you cut out the circle uh, on a big, giant piece of paper and you put it on an easel, will they understand that there's a hole in that paper? Like how they how they manage space in art? Is art as much a part of this spatial interaction? Absol absolutely. That's why now you hear the term STEAM instead of just STEM. So the A for art really comes into play. And you could do things like storyboarding these ideas and having them draw out, you know, like the way that they would move about in a room. Um, a lot of times what I'll do with younger children, we play code the teacher first to start. So always starting unplugged is my recommendation before you introduce the tool or the device. So looking up at the ceiling tiles in the room or in your home, um, if you have, depending upon, or even looking at the floor, your tiles on your floor, you can move about, if you're talking about spatial relation, <laughs> the using, whole world is a grid. <laughs> yeah, the whole world is a grid. And using that really is for the early childhood age group so that they can sort of process giving specific instructions because it's the whole peanut butter and jelly algorithm game like how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm -hmm. if you give someone the instructions and you say okay take out the bread and they could literally just pick up the bread and put it on the table but not like so specific open up the bread take out two pieces you know you have to teach them how to be specific because as the thinking becomes deeper then they realize that they have to you know really lay out and a lot thing. of that is going to be based on developmental perspective taking. exactly because until pre-k they may not have the ability to articulate to, that to be in multiple perspectives at one time exactly and then articulate it as well right so when you're doing program the teacher you have the kids just say you tell the kids okay I'm going to start at this spot in the room and you need to get me across the room okay, and so give me the direction let's do a program the mommy yeah I mean toddlers might what would be the simplest version in in an ordinary household or real world environment where they might program the mommy, where they're just starting to use that language. 
of you're in you're in control of how what I can do and what I can't do. I mean, little things and we I use this actually with students all the time when I'm teaching them about conditionals. I'll ask the students, you know, how many of your parents tell you if you do your homework, then you can watch TV. Or if you make your bed, then you can do this. And the whole concept of a conditional is an if-then or if things are true. And it's always good to like flip it and put the kids in the situation. So something like in a toddler perspective, have them you know, give the parents the directions that normally the parents are giving them. So like, mommy, go brush your teeth. Mommy. I don't know how to do that. How should I do that? What right. do I need? You know, we do that a lot in a class where we'll talk about having made something and say there were three things in this mix. What are those three things? Right. And then you start to have the awareness and then you can say, okay, in order to brush my teeth, what do I need? Right. I need water. I need a toothbrush. I need toothpaste. Right. What else? I mean, what else would be? <laughs> and then you want mom to get to the bathroom, which exactly. would be a whole making a bed. It also this relates mm-hmm, to like mm-hmm. giving children response, teaching them how to be responsible at the same time. And and I love that this idea of it, when you think of tech and tech toys, you think of coding naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, is that really so? This was that's the biggest concept that. I think right now in what's out there, yes, it's the biggest concept. There's also a lot of um, manipulatives like Osmo. Well, hold on. Let me just finish the coding part, and then we'll come to other aspects of tech toys, and then we'll come to the devices and and programs and apps they can get. Um, But but my, my aha is kids love being the master's of their world and the power of being the coder mm-hmm. allows children to have that responsibility, that voice, and that. Uh, ha- Wait, I have another question. So, so we we know developmentally, kids are going to love being coders, and so preparing for that voice is powerful. How is there a struggle? with children not being able to manage mistakes and failure. Absolutely. So in that game, I'm not doing what I want. It didn't come out the way I want. Absolutely. It's the number one issue that I see in that first game that I described Rosie's runtime. There are three roles. There's the driver, the navigator, and the debugger. And the debugger's role is to fix the issues. And most often time the child, and they're supposed to switch roles constantly. The child that's the debugger is the one that's sits there and says, I have nothing to do because there's very little persistence or perseverance from all of them because they want instant gratification. They, they want to know the answer. So there's an immediate, Mrs. Kobo, I can't figure this out. I, I don't know what to do. Can you fix this? And the whole point of all of these activities and lessons is really to build their ability to accept failure and be part of you know, that okay. whole process. So I know people put on this podcast thinking that it was tech toys. Mm-hmm. I knew that it was going to be tech play, and I knew it was going to be you giving us a glimpse into a world that's definitely unfamiliar to me as a school experience and maybe unfamiliar to some of the parents, and especially the vocabulary and the skills and all of that. So as you're explaining a world of uh, I don't know, the debugger, how can parents, young, 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 what are those 
social emotional skills that and resilience skills and problem solving skills that you hope to see when they come to kindergarten and elementary school? I would say that instead of, you know, opening up their applesauce for them right away, maybe seeing if they could try, you know, giving them the language of, you know, can you try that one more time? Um, ask three before me, like that kind of a language. Ask or three before me. You know, um, have you tried doing this with your friend? What kind of ideas um, does this person have? You know, really relying on themselves and other people. Um, I see this most often in coaching robotics. Most people think that when they sign up for Lego robotics that their child is going to walk away like a, a Lego building expert, but it's really all about teamwork and collaboration. And that those are the skills that are so important social emotionally so you're a child of a different generation ish yeah um you're still young how what what do you see the change in childhood experiences being from how you played and were spoken to and guided in your play versus the ideal for you as a mom now and even with younger children I think the way I was, I don't think I was necessarily guided through play. It was just, you know, here, yeah, here it is, you go and do, and my friends and I would go outside and we would be gone for hours. And that's a healthy, I mean, instead of plugging in and entertaining and overscheduling, right. that's an easy go-to. Right. If, you, if parents could do that and feel safe doing that in this world. Right. Okay, but if as a parent is there hearing and watching children play, um, what? so you've given some examples about the, the response to frustration, but now let's go to that, your ch- the child who just falls apart. Right. How do you coach that um, perseverance or, or just an attitude about mistake-making and problem-solving? I mean, I'll use my own child as an example. Um, you know, I try to tell him, and he's almost eight years old, I try to tell him, you you need to find a way to persist because this is what is going to make you stronger. And it's not about being perfect or right all the time, but it's about finding a way to figure it out on your own because I can't always be there to solve your problems. And if I did, then it wouldn't do you any good as you got older. Um, wow. So, I mean, what I love, and I, and I do believe that this generation of children is the, the pendulum swinging back. If they thought there was a helpless generation before, yeah. which it really wasn't, but, but this, if we overdid for kids, this generation is now flipping it on its head because this is about discovery and problem solving and innovation. So tell me your favorite, uh, do you want to go to the, what was the other example besides coding of another of another category? Of so there's a lot of manipulatives, like things like Osmo, um, where you put the iPad on a stand and there's other pieces that you hold in your hand and there's different games and you play the games on the iPad, but the child is able to move around pieces in the real world. Um, so things like that are really popular. A lot of them also have some type of coding aspect to them. Um, and then there's also a lot of uh, 
unplugged board games out there that simulate tech mm-hmm. or STEM-like activities. Snap circuits. Um, there's robot turtles. There's coding farmers, coder bunnies. The kids, I mean, and these are fun. These are awesome. These are <laughs> you know, awesome does games. Does sound like educational toys, or is it really fun? No, there are tons of fun. Um, you could leave the, them with the kids for a long time, and they'll have a really good time. And they're actually learning um, critical thinking skills. A lot of math is involved in these games. and um, So this is different than... 10, 15 years ago when early childhood people would say the more a toy does the less a child does mm-hmm. when I think of old VTech toys and what are the, the tech toys that are, that are not creating the skills that you're anxious to see what or am the, I being um, biased what are the tech toys that are not creating the skills I'd say like any type of Robot that just is a remote control because all that that's doing as a child is just like any type of like car remote control because what skill are they really they're not really learning any hard tech skill if that mm-hmm. makes any mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. whereas if they were using something like the coda pillar where they're having to break it apart and finding ways to put it back together and they're learning to build things in a sequence and they're struggling and be having to persist and all yeah, of those things. I mean the toys you're describing and the games you're describing they are work yes they they are saying if you want to play with me I expect you to contribute to this. Right. There's no, it's, this is not just easy entertainment. Right. And a lot of these different tools out there, um, things also like, um, one of the popular ones that's a manipulative type is called Bloxels. And it comes with um, a blackboard and they're pixel pieces. And each one of the pixel pieces is a color. And the color stands for a different part of a video game. So you've got your grass, your water, your story builder, your enemy, your... Um, TNT, your power-up, and the way that you put them on this pixel grid, you then use the iPad to take a picture, and what you've created then comes to life in your video game. Um, So it's kind of mixing what you've done in the real world in the virtual world. And things like that, um, they're now charging subscriptions for, because then you can go deeper. So it's giving you also some guidance to it. Um, And Tools like that, if you're going to invest and do it at home, you would want that guidance if you're not doing things like that at school. Okay. And, and now to simplify it down a little bit is the back to toddlers, twos, threes. How do you feel about phones and iPads in their hands? And what do you want to see and what do you not want to see? So I don't think it's appropriate for two-year-olds to have phones and iPads in their hands. Certainly if three and up were doing something tactile, learning handwriting, there's lots of different... The color apps? I mean, some of those that are... Yeah, there's some good ones. There's some screen covers that help with um, tactile and sensory um, 
skills that almost feel and look like braille, but they help actually to stimulate your fingers. So if you're learning handwriting, I know that they're starting to teach those skills even younger. Um, so those can go over the screens of the iPads. So things like that, using it for handwriting development because children learn differently right. and stimulation from the screen might help with different developmental issues. Um, so in that case, it's appropriate. But if they're doing things like creating, there's some really great drawing apps that they could use free ones, Doodle Buddy, um, where they're able to then create and see it come to life. If someone was assisting them and helping them make a movie or doing stop motion animation, even with things like clay and Play-Doh, I know it sounds like how would you make a three, four, or five-year-old do that, but with the assistance of parents and teachers, it's certainly possible. So anything that's allowing the child to create and produce, not consume. Oh, and you said that in the other podcast. It's about creation and production, not about consuming, and certainly not about just entertainment, right. where I'm going to just go numb and let the, a device or a toy do all the work. Right. And and there is one place I wanted to lead you with the, um, the those old-fashioned tech toys, and that is anything that moves children towards a single right answer. Right. Is, is going to be limiting and, and contrary to this kind of problem-solving right. way of thinking and interacting in the world. Right. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head something that does that, but you certainly really want to develop their metacognition skills. So anything that's going to allow them to really express rather than them... Receive. Receive. The statement of what is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Woohoo! Well, I'm excited because I I I'm I I know that we aren't giving parents a shopping list. Right. And I wanted them to hear your perspective on where this world is going because I know that um well, I asked you a question earlier before I had the mic on, and it was like, well, how do parents prepare the world for this world of innovation and accelerated change and all of that big tech world that's ahead for your children? And, um, and your answer was... You don't necessarily have to. That's what they're getting in school, and I feel like parents feel the pressure of having to and that's what our job is as educators is to be there to guide you we want to be your partners in that really and I think that's a perfect final word because it's I want them to hear you at a very young age with children a very young age so that they know how extraordinary the shift is taking place right. in what learning is and what the goals are and what the skills are um, but let's close up this podcast and we're going to make a part two for next week on artificial intelligence in the home uh, but before we do that a wrap-up question and that is how have you got this as a parent and as a teacher meeting all children where they are in different places and helping them manage uh, a crazy tech world. 
You know, every day is a new adventure and you constantly have to be researching and looking at what's out there and just sort of have your finger on the latest and greatest and not being afraid to to try new things that are there. I mean, that's how I learned all of this. So you just have to not be afraid because your children, quite honestly, are going to know more than you probably before you do. get to second grade. Yeah. So, so and let me also say that um, Alexis is on Twitter and she does share what's happening in her classrooms. She is sharing things that she's learning at conference, things that she's participating in because she is engaged nationally, if not bigger. And her Twitter is at a gator bait. Oh, sorry. You say it. At a gator bites. At a gator a gator bites bites there you go we'll we'll talk more with alexis next week thanks guys so that's the mess for today we appreciate you listening to see me hear me love me seeing little people learn and grow listening to parents taking a crazy uncertain journey loving the fun and loving the mistakes you write the rules you write your story we just want to be part of the conversation but in the end we know you got this We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Deerwester. And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore family time. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Littman for the great intro. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song Listen. We are listening. See you next week.